Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. What did it mean to serve God during the time of the Lord Jesus? What did that mean to people? The people at that time thought about serving God in the context of serving Him at the temple. The temple was the focal point for serving God. The synagogues did exist as a place where people could go and congregate and read the scriptures and talk about the things of the scriptures. But the idea of serving God was not really based on going to the synagogue. The idea of serving him was still connected to the temple in Jerusalem. If you wanted to serve God, then you would need to go there. That was the place of service. And of course, there were two different categories of people who served God at the temple in that context. The first category of people would be the people themselves, the people who would go to the temple to serve God by giving their tithes, by giving their offerings, by giving what they had to the temple and to the priests who were there in the temple. And those things would be used in order to help people who were in need, or those things would be used in order to perform the ceremonies that were performed there, Those things were used in order to provide the priests with income to be able to take care of their families, and it was used in order to maintain the temple, in order to maintain the temple grounds and to do repairs or to continue construction there at the temple. So that was one way that people could serve God. They could serve him in the context of an individual going to the temple to deliver something to the priesthood there so that the priesthood could make use of it. And in that way, the people believed that they were serving God. They were serving God in this sense by serving others who were his representatives. And those who were his representatives were, of course, responsible to ensure that those resources were used appropriately, righteously, in a godly way. And then the second category of people is the people who were there to do the service, the priests, the priesthood the priests who were there in order to receive the gifts that were being brought by the people, the priests would then take those gifts and they would use them for the temple and for the services there at the temple to serve those who had need, to serve the other priests in order to ensure that their time could be freed up so that they could perform the rituals that were described in the law. The priesthood was the other category of people, and so you had the people and you had the priesthood, and both of them believed that they served God in these different ways. Now, of course, all of these things were defined by the law that God gave. And in the context of the commandments and in the context of the temple, they believed that they were serving God because he gave them that law to obey. And so that's where people make the connection between service and serving God. They are serving him because they are living in obedience to the laws that he gave. That was the belief during the time of the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. I realize that there are a number of people 
who don't really believe that, but I believe that. I believe that our God decided to personally come down here and deal with some issues himself. And when he did, he manifested in the flesh. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. He worked among us. He talked with us. He did things with us. But he was God. And he took upon the name Jesus, and he lived here, and he died here. He did a lot of things while he was here. But what I want you to understand is that when he was here, he went into the temple. Now, I think it's difficult for people to get in touch with this, and so I'm going to try my best to explain this. And that is that all of those people were there at the temple for the purpose of serving God. They were either the common people or they were the priesthood, but either way, they were all there for the same reason, or at least you would think that they would be there for the same reason. They were there to serve God in the way that they believed that they should serve God. But God showed up there at the temple. Jesus went to the temple on a number of occasions. He showed up. Right there in the temple, he was right there in front of them. He spoke to them, they spoke to him. There was no question in some people's minds that he was, at a minimum, the Messiah. Others got in touch with the fact later that he was actually God manifested in the flesh. But I want you to get in touch with this. And that is that the living God showed up there in the temple and he was there among many people. A huge number of people were there in the same place as he was, in the place where people believed that they were worshiping God. He was right there, and they did not recognize him for who he was. They did not see him for who he truly is. They did not know their God. So what does this really look like? I mean, what is this? This is a situation where there are many people who are there who believe one thing, but what they believe, obviously, is not entirely correct. Because if it was entirely correct, then they would know the God who they were apparently serving when he showed up there, when he was there. Do you suppose that maybe they would have taken a moment to put aside all of the things that they were doing to serve God, to go and see him? to go and speak with him, to go and hear him? Do you suppose that maybe they would have turned to him in that way? Now, of course, there were a lot of people who did listen to him, who did watch him, but what I want you to understand is that people did not turn to him for who he was. They mainly turned to him for the miracles that he performed, and, of course, they were inspired by the words that he spoke. But they did not really look to him as someone, as the person who they were there to serve. They didn't see him that way. And I think it's very difficult for people to get in touch with this because today we're focused on the same thing. We're focused on serving at the church. We're focused at serving at the temples without considering the person who we are really serving and what would happen if he actually showed up. How would that interfere with all of the service that we are involved in. If he was to personally show up today, just as he personally showed up back then, how would he disturb the harmony of the church or of the temple? When he was there at the temple, he obviously disturbed a lot of people. There were a lot of people who were very disturbed at his presence. There were many people who did not want him to be there at all. And yet he was the one who they were apparently who they supposedly were there to serve.
So how can you really serve God? I mean, how is it possible? How can you serve God by being there at the temple in Jerusalem? How can you serve him when if he shows up, you don't even acknowledge who he is? You don't even know who he is. And when you are confronted by his presence, maybe you want to get rid of him. What does that mean? How is that possible? Well, the reason why this is possible is because he never gave the commandments so that people would know who he is. That's not why he gave the commandments. He gave the commandments in order to stir up more sin in people's lives, in order to provide for the prophetic inferences that were described in the law so that he could fulfill those and reveal who he is through the prophetic inferences that are found in the law. He provided foreshadowings in the law that he could eventually use at a future date in order to reveal important truths about who he is, what he has done, and how he truly relates to us. He used the law for many reasons, but one reason that he did not give the law for, he did not give the law so that you would know who he is. So you can live, please understand this, you can live in complete, total, absolute obedience to the entirety of every law that he ever gave. You can observe it all perfectly. Now, I personally don't think that you can, but let's assume that you do. Assuming that you find a way to live your life in such a way that you never, ever sin, and you always observe every commandment that he ever gave, you always do all of those things that he said that you are to do, and you never do those things that you are not supposed to do, if you manage to succeed completely, totally, fully to everything that he ever gave, if he was standing in front of you, looking at you in your eyes, you still wouldn't have any idea who he is. You would have no idea. You would not know your God from anyone. In fact, you'd probably refer to him as a lunatic, as a madman, as someone who was so disturbed, who was disturbing everybody else, someone who is potentially a threat to your very existence and your form of worship and your form of service that perhaps you need to get rid of him in some way. And if he doesn't go away, maybe you need to find some way to have him killed. That's what happened. That is exactly what happened. And I need you to understand that, yes, there is a form of service in the law, but it's not what people are assuming. It's not what people are thinking. The purpose of that service was to accomplish other things than knowing your God. It was not given for the purpose of knowing your God. It was not given so that you would know who he is and so that he would know who you are. It was not given for that reason. It was given for other reasons, for some other very important reasons. The law was referred to by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians as the ministry of condemnation, just as an example. The law is the definition and the standard that defines the service of condemning people. That's what the law was for. It was given, yes, to serve God, but it was given to serve Him to show us that we have a need for His mercy. That was the service. That was the purpose. It was given so that people could see that they do not know God. Not so that they could know God, but so that they could see that they do not know Him. 
that of course doesn't help them with regards to knowing the Lord, but it does at least get them to the point of recognizing that they don't know him. It was given for the purpose of condemning people. Now let me ask you, do you suppose the priests were rather skilled at condemning people? I suppose they probably were. I suppose, I believe, given the evidence that we have, that they were quite skilled in being able to use the law to condemn other people. I see many examples in the New Testament where the religious leaders during that time were very well known as people who would condemn others for for what? For their sin. And they had plenty of sin to condemn, and so there was plenty of condemnation. But what did that do for people? It did absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because there is no way that anyone can experience any transformation in who they are. And there is no way that a person can truly serve God in the newness of the Spirit according to the New Covenant until they do acknowledge and recognize that they are completely hopeless and helpless and that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of their God. Now, what about today? Is there much of a difference between the temple in Jerusalem during the time of the Lord Jesus and the temples and the churches that we have at our disposal today? Well, of course, there are some exceptions to what I'm about to say, but in general, in general, the churches that we have at our disposal are just like the temple in Jerusalem during the time of the Lord Jesus. They're very similar, if not exactly the same. They're very similar in the sense that they are built on a standard. They are built on a system of beliefs. They are built on a system of law. Every church is built according to what they believe is good and evil. And the people who are members of these decorated facilities, they have to conform to what the leadership says is good and evil. They have to conform to that. They have to do that which is good, and they're not allowed to do those things that are evil. If they don't, if they fail with regards to what they should be doing or with regards to what they should not be doing, then they could be kicked out. They can lose their membership. The leadership might tell them to go somewhere else. And, of course, they will probably be able to find someplace else to go where they could probably fit in a little bit better. They don't have the same requirements. They don't believe the same things. There are many different congregations, and I believe that there's a church for everyone. Everyone can find someplace to go. They just need to identify the laws that they feel comfortable with. But what does that do? What does that really do? That does absolutely nothing except provide people with an opportunity to what? Serve God? Sure, serve God in the same way that the Israelites served God in the temple. They can serve God in the same way today. They can go and they can bring their gifts. They can bring their offerings. And the leadership can take those gifts. They can take those offerings and they can use them to help people who are in need. They can use them in order to provide themselves with the resources that they would need to free up their time so that they can perform the ceremonies and the rituals just like the priests did in the temple in Jerusalem. They can use those resources in order to do maintenance on the church or they can maintain the grounds or they can do other things in order to increase the spirituality of the place. They can increase the quality of the atmosphere to make it an atmosphere of worship or something like that. Listen, I don't have a problem with people decorating their facilities and trying to create an atmosphere of peace. I can appreciate that. But unfortunately, what people are doing is they believe that through doing this, that they are serving God. 
But these things are virtually identical to what was taking place in the temple in Jerusalem. So if what is happening there in the context of service, that the people go to serve God in the church, just like they went to the temple in Jerusalem to serve God, and the priesthood is there serving God in the church in a similar way as the priesthood in Jerusalem served God in the temple there, if the same thing is happening today versus what was happening back then, then let me ask you this. What would happen if Jesus showed up in your church? What, what would happen? What would that be like? Now, let's assume, of course, that he doesn't make an official announcement that it's him, but he presents himself in a way that if somebody knows who he is, then they would identify him quickly. They would see him quickly, perhaps in a similar way as John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus approaching when Jesus came to be baptized by him. Maybe something similar to that. My point is, though, that if Jesus showed up in one of those churches that is within remote proximity of where you live, if he showed up there, would the people know him? Would they have any idea who he is? Would they know him to the extent that they would be willing to put aside all of their services that they are conducting? Would they be willing to wait a little while before they would allow people to provide their contributions and other things? Would they pause for a little bit and spend some time listening to him? Would they do that? It is very unlikely. It's very unlikely because what are they doing there? What is the service that they are doing there? Of course, I'm speaking in generalities. There are, of course, many exceptions to this. So don't think that I'm against church or against churches or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there are many places that are built on deception. They are built on deception. And in this case, the deception is that they are still teaching the old covenant. That's the deception. It is a deception because there is a new covenant that has gone into effect and they're not willing to tell people that. In fact, they advertise the old covenant as if it is the new covenant, or in some cases people will actually say that the new covenant is the old covenant that has been further explained or further revealed, or he has given us the empowerment to now live in obedience to the old covenant, stuff like that. People come up with all kinds of different phrases and excuses to continue to teach the Old Covenant, which is what we call the letter of the law. And what do they do when they do that? They do the exact same thing that the priesthood did during the time of the Lord Jesus, which is the exact same thing that God wanted them to do. What is that? It is the service, it is the ministry of condemnation. That's what it is. It is the ministry of condemning people. It is the service you are serving God by showing them that they are evil, by reminding them that they are evil, that they have failed to overcome all of the sin in their lives. And of what value is this? I mean, of what value is this really? Well, there can be great value in it for somebody who doesn't know the Lord because it can drive them to the point of despair absolute despair so that they will be ready to receive the mercy of God. The problem, however, is that they are not likely to receive the mercy of God there. In general, they have to find it someplace else because the leadership is focused on condemning people on the ministry of condemnation. 
And so a lot of people tend to go from one church to the next, usually on about a two-year rotation where they stay in one place for about two years and then they go to another place. Normally they're saying things like, I wasn't being fed, I wasn't learning anything, I don't feel that I've grown closer to my God because I was there and I was listening to the leadership there and I was doing the things that they told me to do. These are normal things that people say today. But the fact is, is that the reason why they do not know the Lord is because what is generally being taught is the same covenant, the same law that was given through Moses a long time ago. The only difference is that they have altered it a little bit. They have taken some of the things out. They've put a few other things in a few alterations in order to make it look like it's kind of new, but it really isn't. It isn't new at all. It's the same old stuff, the same old law. And just as Jesus was not recognized when he was in the temple in Jerusalem, I really believe that if he was in many of the congregations that we have today, he still wouldn't be recognized here either. He wouldn't be. You know, I know what it is to be lost. Many of you probably have no idea what it really means to be lost. You probably grew up in a Christian home. Your parents or your pastor told you the gospel when you were five and you've been discipled in the scriptures ever since and you've been under religious control for most of your life with the exception of a few years. You probably went crazy or something. But you probably have no idea what it is to be totally lost and have no knowledge and no understanding of God at all. That the closest you ever came to knowing your God was to see some of these churches, some of these buildings, along the road as you were passing by, thinking, you know, maybe someday I'll find out what's going on in there. This was me. I know what this is like. I know what it is to be lost. I know what it is to live a life without any acknowledgement of the existence of God at all. And I have known a lot of people who have lived this way. I've known many lost people. I have spent many years in the world having exposure to lots of people, lots of people who have no concept of what it means to know the Lord and have no interest in knowing the Lord at all. What do you suppose they think about all these religious people? What do you suppose they think? Have you ever considered what lost people might think of religious people? You really ought to consider that. Because what they see and what they think means something. It does mean something. Let me give you an example. I have known many people who refuse to even consider pursuing the things of the Lord because they saw other people, lots of other people, who claimed that they were pursuing the things of the Lord. And these lost people saw those religious people as being mean, cruel, wicked, evil people. In other words, they saw those people as being no better than themselves. They saw those people as being more evil than themselves in some ways. Even though those people could dress up nice and they could talk nice and they could put on a really good show, a really nice concert in their decorated facilities, even though they could do that, lost people see those people as being deceptive, hypocritical, wicked and evil, deceptive and interested only in themselves. That's what lost people think about people who are in these kinds of places. In fact, I found it very unusual to find any lost person who didn't have an opinion that sounded something like that. Very unusual. And so to the lost people, the religious people don't know the Lord at all. 
That's how religious people are generally perceived. Now, I'm not wanting to say that one is right and one is wrong or that one is better than the other. I'm not interested in doing that. What I want you to understand is that they both have problems, that you have the lost people who have no interest in the things of God at all. I would call them the ungodly. And then you have the religious people who don't know the Lord either. They may serve God in the various ways that they do, but if he was to show up in front of them, if he was to show up in their building and they wouldn't recognize him, then what does that mean to say that they serve God? What do you suppose God thinks when he hears something like that? He walks into this place and he sees all these people and all these people announce themselves as people who are serving God. We are serving God. And he says, well, here I am and I sure don't feel like it. I don't see any indication that you're serving me. What is all this stuff? And who am I? Don't you see who I am? Who cares about all these things when I am here in your presence? So you have all these people who are trying to be holy and righteous and godly, but they are failing. And even though they may not recognize it, the people in the world know it, the ungodly know it, they are trying to be righteous, but they have failed, so they are by definition unrighteous. And what you need to get in touch with is that you don't want to be ungodly or unrighteous. You don't want to be a part of either one. You don't want to be a part of the ungodly in the world, not pursuing the Lord at all. And you don't want to be a part of the religious world that is not pursuing him either, but is instead preoccupied with all the services that they are doing, not understanding that there is a person that they don't know any better every other year. It takes about every other year, about every two years, people figure it out that they are not getting anywhere. And so they go somewhere else hoping that they can... Find out who he is when they go there, and they certainly don't know him anymore when they go there either. It doesn't matter. There is something totally different from all of this. If you are going to serve him, you have to serve him in a totally different way that is completely independent, of course, not only of the ungodly world, but also of the unrighteous world. There is something totally separate from that. That when Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, he meant something totally different. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And I will explain this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,